times about how they received this speech and what was outdated and sadly how much of it is still relevant today and and uh, we were like perhaps that'd be fun and so you guys know on Juneteenth we told you we were going to do this hopefully you had a chance to either listen to or read the this speech if you haven't I, I think it'll be profitable to still go back and do even after this conversation but I want to introduce a few friends up and and I know we're not the most like a plotty place but let's pretend that we are okay so first our our friend and our community pastor let's let's welcome Reverend Rob and then we are are graced with with a gift here of Minister Ellis Tarver from Bates Memorial is here as well And then it is not every day that we have a princess in the house. But today we also have the gift of Miss India Marks, Louisville's own Miss Juneteenth. So, Matt, real quick, can I, can I, uh, you get to do whatever you want as long as you hold the microphone close. That is not your ability usually. You're good. So as India was walking up here, I don't know if y'all ever seen Coming to America, where he says, uh, she's your queen to be. Like, I just want to feel like busting out this song and say, she's your queen to be. No, let me stop. Let me stop. No, I was just joking. <laughs> Love it. All right. Love Can't it. Be serious. Well, we, ha no, it is not serious. It gets to be whatever it is. So we have a couple questions that we'll either get to or not get to. Because the point is not so much the questions, the point is a good, healthy dialogue. And just as a reminder, you guys get to represent yourself. You don't have to speak for a ton of people. You get to speak for you in your own self, and we will we'll just figure this out, and we'll go through this. Um, I said we're probably going to talk for about 35 minutes-ish, just on the time. If you, if you need to go, you can go, but about 35 minutes-ish together, we're going to receive communion, and then hopefully we talk some more and just see what God does with that. Does that sound good? Yes. Sounds like a plan. Okay, so first off, uh, you all got to re-listen or re-read the, the, the great speech, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, and just ha what happened within you as you heard this uh, or, or read this, this at this time, at this moment in history? And anybody gets to go. Um. Again, Ellis Tarver, thank you all so much for having me. Um, can everybody hear? I sometimes don't talk in the mic. I'll correct you. Make sure I, I do that. I will correct you. Um, me hearing the speech uh, was uh, not really awakening, but just a, a somber recollection, a recollection of the whole old adage, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, it was that it's a lot of pieces that I'm, no, I'm sure we're going to dive into later. That, um, but one that really stuck out was that he said how new of a nation that uh, America is. And at that time, it was 76 years old. 76 years old, yeah. Um, now we are 250 around that. 56? Yeah, maybe that. That's 46. Good. good. <laughs> um, now we're that old. But we're still in a room having the same conversation. So that is what really came to my mind. Yeah. And uh, for myself, to um, piggyback off what Ellis had just said, it made me a little angry because I'm like, man, we, we still addressing the same issues. Mm -hmm. You know, um, been that, I'm so glad that Douglas used his prophetic voice of that time. Yeah. And, and it was somewhat like sticking it to the man, I would say, but like, but in a loving way, but like, how dare you bring me here to talk about your independence? Yeah. And I'm still, you know, in bondage, even as, you know, because he was still going through things as a black man or a black person back in those days, even though he was a freed man. So, um, just full of, of mixed emotions, but I'm glad that 
he had the opportunity to speak to the people. And I, and I somewhat wish that they had technology or the technology that we have today just to see people's facial expressions. Like what was their, like what did they feel after that speech as he gave that speech? But just full mixed of emotions, uh, like Ellis just said, we're still addressing some of these issues to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I went last intentionally because I already knew that they were going to sum it up the best way possible. So <laughs> just to piggyback off both of them, I would say, um, I guess more so leaning on Robert's um, uh, taking from it, it was very frustrating to read, only to see, like, wow, like this happened decades ago, and I'm, we're still living in it today. Yeah. And there's laws in place that have only allowed it to go on further and yeah. say it's okay. Things are justifiable to an extent. Um, so it was very frustrating to read. Um, but um, I want to say almost still to look at, because I'm a visual person. So as I was reading it and then I went back and listened to it, I'm like, wow, how would, what would my body language be like in the room as a black person? What would my right. thought processes be like? Would I want to get up and just storm out? Would I want to slap the person next to me? Would I, you know, what, what would be my reaction? And I think just um, for someone like myself, I would have just been in shock and awe of being able to listen to someone that has experienced what he experienced being an escaped slave to speak how he spoke in, in a room like that would have been like, wow, like it does bring about a hope. So even with conversations like today, like um, he mentioned that we're still talking about it, but it still lets us know that hope is brewing and yeah. it still wants to be thrived and people want to see it. Yeah. And I, that's, I, I did, I'm, I'm never a doom and gloom guy. There's always God. So there's always good. <laughs> so, um, People say find God in everything, find the good in everything. The good in his speech was this. The fact that we are talking about it is the, is the hope. Yeah. Um, the action after this conversation is what will fuel change. Um, so that, to me, just the um, sheer fact that you all will hear it and as Jesus said go ye therefore in all the lands preaching and teaching well you can go therefore and talk about this too yeah. you know the things that you hear and have those tough conversations with each other and as we would hold each other accountable if you saw a brother or a sister sinning why can't we hold each other accountable for the same sin of prejudice or the same sin of apathy that's good mm -hmm. yeah. um, and no matter the color Brother, yeah. sister, yeah. Um, Jesus said, who is your neighbor? Yeah. And he gave the good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. But then they say, oh, so your good neighbor is the person that you shouldn't like? No, your good neighbor is the person next to you. That's who your neighbor is. So then how do I minister? And I'm, I won't say <laughs> this is about it. How do I minister to people that I don't know, get to know them? You know, they say don't see color. I disagree. Yeah. But see my color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because my color may not be the same as, may not be the same as Rob's because our experiences, just like your experiences, mm -hmm. should not group you all into white. No, that moment. Please don't apologize. That's, that's really good. So one of the things I was thinking about um, that I meant to say right away, it, so we've been talking about the book, uh, My Grandmother's Hands, right? I mentioned it to you guys a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you all are familiar with that one. It's, it's how to deal with, the author does a beautiful job of talking about racialized trauma and how it's embodied in us and how do we actually work through this and, and mend is the word that he uses most. And I, I just want to acknowledge by even having this conversation, we're opening that up again. And so let, let me say towards the beginning, thank you for the courage to speak to a room that, that you don't know. Thanks for trusting Rob in, in that. And uh, Rob, thank you for leading us in this. Um, but we just need to acknowledge that when, it, when we have these conversations, it's like, oh, we're back open to more either mending or deeper trauma. And every time the conversation comes up, we kind of choose by the way that we go into it and by the way that we 
uh, see one another and recognize one another in it. And uh, we just need to be acknowledging that. So a- as you listen to the speech or, or read it, uh, outside of some, uh, I-, I love that Wendy was saying, um, he said he's uneducated and then he uses words we got to look up. Uh, so uh, outside of some, some words that are a lot of syllables, uh, was there anything that seemed like it was outdated, that, that it was irrelevant, or was all of it just like it could have been said yesterday? From my perspective, he was talking to me now. Yeah. Um, but I, in understanding that my perspective is my own, he may not have been talking to you. Most of those things could have been outdated if you look at it from a historical lens. Historically, yes, there are not (laughs) present day a group of people who are locked uh, against their will and have to be there and work. Well, there are in in like the prisons and so, so now you, you see, can talk about it here. So you're that, fine. That, that, that's what I mean. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, so I was good. getting there is that that was the analogy of that's why he's still talking to me today. Yeah. Um, because when he looked around at his African-American brothers and sisters, they were being oppressed. And he was in a hall of luxury being asked, hey, what do you think about the fourth? <laughs> Forget the fourth. What about the, the, the brother who just got his leg lopped off and just wanted to be free? Yeah. So I think sometimes we lose sight. We don't see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Kirk Franklin has a song. Um, you either let God be God of all or not God at all. Mm. Mm. So if he's not God of your relationships with people you don't know, let him be. <laughs> be God, let him be God of all or not God at all because he gave us everything. So the least we could do. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think for me, um, gosh, he, he's, he speaks so well. <laughs> you, you just, you don't have to say much. Why am I here? <laughs> um, <laughs> You're adding a lot. I appreciate it. Um, for me, because I went back to that question a few times. I was like, let me just see. You know, maybe, no. But there's, like you said, there's not much missing other than, to me, the first thing came to my mind, well, we're not on plantations anymore. And for that to be the, for lack of a better word, the best upgrade since that time frame says a lot. So, um, yeah, that would be my point. Even like what you said with the jails and everything, which I know you'll touch on. Um, so we're not actively working on a plantation and picking cotton or, you know, doing things like that. But everything else, the, it still exists. It's still, it's still alive today. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so for me, it was, I didn't, I didn't see anything that he said, I guess, besides some of the words that he used that we no longer, as far as his uh, dialect, that we don't use anymore. Mm-hmm. But because everything that he was saying is still prevalent to this day as black people are, are going through. And to, and to kind of mix both of Ellis's and India's uh, statements, Ellis was saying, you know, in regards to, you know, I have the, the opportunity, or Douglas, I have the opportunity to be here and to speak to you all. And I'm speaking upon thousands, millions, hundreds of thousands of black folk of former enslaved or enslaved people. And I'm speaking for them, the weightiness of that, being in these rooms, that makes me think about sometimes of myself, how I am blessed to be in certain rooms speaking on behalf of my people. But in regards to that, and this is uh, no, I'm not trying to rebuttal, but based on what you said, India, is that, you know, that we're no longer on the plantation. We're no longer, yes and no, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we, we, we're still on the plantation. I was in the barbershop yesterday, and I was talking to my cousin, uh, who's my barber, who was uh, talking in regards to, uh, was talking about slavery. Um, I don't know what led to the, uh, to the conversation, but 
a lot of people, I don't know if you all, well, let me, I'm gonna ask you all the question. Did you, when did slavery end here in America? Huh? Hasn't? When did, was it chattel slavery ended in America? Let me put it in better terms. When did it end? 1865? Wrong. 1963. Look up Redwood, Redwood, Mississippi. It was a black family. Maybe, I think, when, when did Dr. King do his speech? At Mar, uh, his, uh, 63? 64? 64? I think it's 64. Right. Up to one year from Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, maybe months or a year, black people in this nation were still slaves. And so, in this, it's, it's always going. Slavery is still going to this day. Even within, and I would say within the, uh, I was I always tell people, uh, was it the, um, uh, the 13th Amendment? Mm -hmm. We pride ourselves. Uh, the abolishment of slavery, you know, no man, you know, th they're free, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's not a period or an exclamation mark. It's a comma, unless you are imprisoned. And if you look at our nation, and if you look in within certain communities, even here, and with the environment, that, in the, with the environment where I grew up from, there are a lot of African Americans that are being imprisoned. Mm -hmm. The pipe, Ellis will tell you, he, he was a, a former JCPS teacher. The pipeline to prison from school. I, so it's, it's, still, it's still relevant. To me, besides the, his language and the dialect, I saw no, nothing that actually have changed from, from his speech. But, but Rob, yeah. the, the passion is the relevancy to you. Yeah. So since this is uh, more of a panel and I, I really love more of a forum and a discussion more because I want to know what part of that seems unreal to you. Mm. Because that's one of the conversations that we never have is because it's real to me. Yeah. I live it every single day of my life. But it's not real to you. And I know that, and until, that's, that's the mend, is the communication of, yeah, you tell me it's slavery every day, but when I heard of slavery in school, it was people half naked with whips in fields. Mm -hmm. People are not doing that. So in some people's minds, no, it's not real. So it's the common understanding of what we mean by slavery or enslaved people. And, I, and I, those things come with these type of dialects in mass forums such as this, mm -hmm. but even more in your personal interactions. That is what um, I always liken it to the image of the cross. Mm. The cross is vertical. The longest part of the cross is straight up and down because that needs to be the strongest connection you have. Mm. But the other is horizontal because this connection should strengthen this connection. Yeah. And not just with the people that sit next to you in your pews, and it's asking yourself those tough questions like, hey, when that song comes on that I don't, I don't listen to that music, well, what is that music? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, uh, I don't go on that side of the city. Well, what's that side? I think when we start really getting out of our heads, um, because Will Smith said it a while ago, all fear, all things we don't like happen in our head. 99% of the things that you fear will never and can ever happen. So your fear of me and the honest to goodness, we were all lied to. Oh yeah. Not just blacks, not just people of color, whites were lied to too by an oppressive system. Mm -hmm. Because if we really wanna talk about it, and this is the last thing, and I'm so sorry, I love this conversation, mm -hmm. so y'all gonna have to cut me sometimes, but if you didn't know that after slavery, during Reconstruction, poor whites yeah. and freed slaves rebuilt this country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Can't forget about the immigration. Oh, and, and oh gosh, immigrants. Yeah. We rebuilt this country together. It was when the oppressive ownership capitalism said, wait a minute, if they got together, we won't have power anymore. So hey, what he told you was, hey, you look like me. So guess what? They don't. So you may not have what I have, but at least you don't look like they do. So they based your whole economic, because that's what it's based on now, our political structure. Classism. Class system. Now it's based on something that no one can control, the amount of melanin or lack thereof in your skin. When you break it down, it really sounds really like, why are we talking about it again? And, and also, I would like to add, uh, it, with, within that question, um, the woman's voice wasn't heard. And I think that a lot of people don't, I don't know if you all realize that Frederick Douglass really started the woman's movement. If you, uh, if you ever get a chance, go get uh, this book. It's written by David Blight. Um, it's called um, The Prophet of Freedom. And it talks about, you know, all the things, you know, as far as with the, uh, within the industrial system that was moving into, uh, into America uh, for uh, the, um, uh, not information, but the resources or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, for, for African-American or for the enslaved people, women, and also with uh, the Asian descent uh, that, you know, that was taking place in that time with, out in California in the gold mines. So Douglas was somewhat ahead of his time. Mm -hmm. But I, I will also add in you know, uh, the voice of the woman that he didn't add in the speech. And, and, and due to that time, you know, um, I guess from the words of uh, Zora Neale Hurston uh, about particularly black women is that you know they're overworked, they're overvalued, but never appreciated. So yeah, so I, I would definitely say uh, within that that he didn't address within black women uh, or women overall, but especially within black women. But in that time, I guess he was speaking. I would say he was speaking for all of black people or former enslaved individuals. So so that's good since we have a African American. Queen, huh? <laughs> Not just because of the crown, but who she is. But seriously, I, I would love to ask mm -hmm. this. Let's, let's, let's. When you hear images or you see images of the enslaved person and you hear the plight of the slave, do you get the image of the black woman's plight? Mm -hmm. Do you hear that told as much in order to mend as we're doing here because those things are not exclusive. Um, we could sit here, and I know me, Robin, every, everyone, if you're a student of history, could tell you the atrocities of slavery. Mm. I mean, things that, there's children in here, so I would never, ever mention those now. Atrocities. And these were the, a daily occurrence. Yeah. This wasn't a, a, hey, you did something wrong, so then. This was how we are still in bondage. Mm -hmm. um, so my question to you is, where do you see the future of that, uh, of the speech? Does that make sense? What does the 4th of July mean to the slave? If I could reword it, what does America mean to the black woman? Mm. Like you said, there are children present. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. Um, no, it's love. Um, when you rephrase it that way, um, and I think, again, we have to rephrase a lot of things. Like you said, the dialect that was used back then, everything. But it all still is relevant. Um, for me, when I look at it, I immediately think um, stripped, mm. raped of, mm. um, removed from existence. Um, socially stripped, um, especially economically stripped, being that as black women, um, when our men go out, we're having to nurture a bruised back when ours is bruised. Um, 
So not having resources to really build the families that we want to build, even as time progressed, we build white families. We raise their children. Um, we nurse their children. Um, if a, you know, whether the woman, whether the white woman could produce milk or not, ours was going to be primary. Um, so saying all that and then looking at what our culture looks like today and the fact that it's still happening, um, even outside of, it's, I don't want to touch on this too much, but my mother and I was speaking about equality. I'm like, America don't really want equality. <laughs> if America had equality. You can talk about that. We, yeah. we can. Um, you can talk about We don't that. really want equality. I'm all for women, women empowerment. Um, but granted, um, I am a believer, of course, so I don't believe in anyone oppressing anyone, regardless of your sex, race, whatever. Um, but we don't really want equality the way we need to have it. Because some people can say, oh, 50-50. No, 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 no. Equality is 100-100. Is and if we would really have to turn America upside down, shake it loose to restructure everything, to have genuine, real equality. Um, so when I, when, I, when I hear your question, those words I just mentioned is, is what happens. And for me, going forward, it's all about... Um, Myself, I do a lot with women development, youth counseling, model coaching, pageant coaching. That's my um, vehicle on how I like to minister to people. Yeah. Um, so for me, especially when I'm dealing with black women, I'm always having to kind of go past like the, oh, how are you? Or what's your favorite color? Or what do you like to do? And have to immediately go into the um, psychological aspect of it yeah. because there's so much damage. Yeah. Um, a lot of black women carry what I would just say, honestly, a lot of masculine traits mm. um, because of the need to be strong mm. all the time. And then you're presented as aggressive when you show your frustration, being as women, we're emotional. We are very um, sensitive regardless of what women's rights want to say. We are. God made us to nurture and carry life. So we are supposed to feel those emotions. We're not wrong for them. Um, he says, God says be angry, but sin not. So you can True. be angry. You can be frustrated. We are not to sin. No, but allow your emotions to be, to be there. They're, they're not wrong. Um, but trying to, so when I'm speaking to them, ministering or whatever it, where the conversation be, I'm having to deal with that first, the pain, um, the lack of fatherhood, the lack of um, instruction, not knowing how to be a woman. A skirt doesn't make you a woman. Makeup doesn't make you feminine. You know, learning those things um, and just as I'm teaching them, realizing, oh my gosh, it literally goes back to slavery. It's something you said earlier, you was in a barbershop, you were talking, you couldn't figure out how, and I thought everything goes back to that. <laughs> and for some reason, we live in a country that doesn't want to talk about that, but that is the root of it. It all goes back to it. It's not just the word slavery. It's what slavery represents. Slavery is a stripping of an individual that it was still human. And um, our country failed to realize that. Not even just our country, because it started European everywhere else, but... Um, they failed to realize that we were still human to the point, what was it? We weren't even considered a whole human. Five, three-fifths of a person is what we were um, seen as, not even a whole. I mean, could you imagine you going somewhere and someone saying, you're not a real, you're three-fifths of who I am, even though I have ten, hand, ten fingers and ten toes like you. I got two eyes. Too. My skin's just darker. You know, my English is a little broken. In this, you know, um, so... Dang, here I go. But that's that's <laughs> that that's my perspective on that. I, I feel as though we were stripped a lot, and we're still being stripped, even even by even by each other now, you know, because of what has taken place. Um, so really trying to build that back. Can, can I add uh, to that? Please. Even though I'm not a, 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 a woman or, right. or or a black woman, <laughs> we black people, and in, in, in talking about within black women. They weren't human. They were three-fifths of a slave until they wanted to procreate. Thank you. Then, then you're a whole human. Because if we're going to look at it biblically, that's bestiality. You're human. I mean, you're, you're three-fifths of a person until I, what you said, atrocities. Taking, it had taken place amongst black women. And that's the conversation that we got to talk about. And even Douglas himself, who believed that his father was his slave master. So, and I love mending. 
And you know how they say, um, walk a mile in someone else's shoes? Eh, that's nasty. No, thank you. <laughs> I say, empathize. Yeah. We cannot sympathize with each other. And then when you said, I want you all to imagine yourself as three-fifths of a person. I'm going to tell you a secret, a deep, dark secret that African Americans don't talk about. You as Caucasian Americans can never understand that. You, when we, when we try to, and, and, and let's have this tough conversation to pull on white guilt, it can't work because you can't understand something you've never experienced. You've seen it, you feel bad about it, it wasn't you, and you really, 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 really wish it didn't happen. And it's not your fault that you, you were born that way, just like it's not our fault that we were born this way. So pulling on the guilt of it all can't work because you will never feel that. But I'm gonna tell you what will. Pulling on the love of it all. If, just don't think about it, oh, if you were black and if you went, no. There's a person that when they go, because hard times or whatever, when they go to an office, before they ever check in, they're judged. Mm -hmm. Jerome Jenkins, uh, we can laugh because that's, a, that's an ethnic name. It's those little things, it, and, and it's using the God we worship in here to talk to the people out there. What good is it for us to raise our hands and lift our hand, our holy hands to him if we won't reach a hand to anyone and everyone? I asked my minister friends this, Rob. My minister friends that are African-American. I said, close your eyes. Your, your ministry is booming. You have 5,000 people. You are saving souls every day. What color is your conversation? Open your eyes. They were all black. I said, but, then what does that look like? Then are we only saviors to ourselves, which we can't save ourselves? Mm -mm. So I would ask you all the same thing. When you think of the loss now, this is also saying black people don't need saving. We do not need saving. We are, full, we are human, we are fully capable and functional, and we can do everything that we put our minds to it as you can because we are all human beings. It's crazy that I have to delineate that. That, hey, black people can do it too. That's, that's crazy. So, the, 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 the crux of it all for me is communication. You have to get out of your head. When you, when, when some, when, a, when an African American person, here it is, when, if you would have saw, and be honest with yourselves, I dare not pass the mic, when you saw Miss India walk in with her crown and her sash and said Miss Juneteenth, and the way that she was dressed looking as amazing as she did, what did you think? Did you ask yourself, hey, man, that's amazing. I wonder what she did. Or did you say, what is Juneteenth? Oh, that's an African sash. I wonder if she, oh, that's a crown. I, was she stanched in all of her glory? She's standing right there. We do that. The enemy's biggest and greatest victory is to trick, is to trick us into believing he does not exist. That is his greatest trick. Ah, that ain't the enemy, man. That's she, you know, when you say she, he, personal pronouns, you know, she, he, them, us, we, you have already alienated yourself. The church is not a building. I love your, the name of this organization, One Church. Because if the church was a building, then the Bible is wrong. Because God ain't coming back for no building. Yeah. Yeah. I, I promise you, listen, God, when the, when the sky cracks and the, and the trumpet sounds, he's not going to pick up this beautiful facade with him into heaven and add it to his collection. He won't. He will look at you 
And as long as you follow two commandments, two, love him and love your neighbor. And how do you love him? By loving your neighbor. And how do you love your neighbor? When it's hard to love your neighbor, love him because he loved you when it was hard to love you. Oh, I'm sorry, I get on a tangent. You're I'm good, sorry. you're good. So we're going to talk about hope in a minute. I want each one of you to just kind of speak to, and particularly like, that this, this was heavy, yes. but a lot of things are heavy, and you're facing a lot of things that are heavy. How do you find hope? Um, before, before we do that, so I'm going to let you think for a minute. Uh, I know that some people listen to this on the podcast. So you in the room, I, I know... I know almost all of you. And so this is a little less for you. But I know some people listen to this on the podcast who pay attention to us, um, but don't necessarily worship with us. And some of you may be saying, why are we talking about something that was a hundred and lots of years ago? Why are we talking about slavery? I didn't do it. This was, right? This kind of stuff. Our bodies remember everything. Our bodies remember what our my grandmother handed things down to my mother who handed things down to me. That's the way that it works. And so it all still exists in this room. All of this othering, all of this three-fifthsing, all of this with race and class and uh, gender, it all exists. It takes on slightly different forms because the enemy's creative and so is our sin. And so we find new ways to do it. But let's be a people who engage here, who further do our work. Uh, we're going to send this, or we're going to put this on the website under the um, resources part. But there is a documentary that many of you have seen called The 13th. If you haven't, please watch that. There is a book by Dominic Gilliard, Rethinking Incarceration. If you haven't read that, please read that. If you need a copy, I think I bought like 17 of them. Uh, there's another book called White Trash that gets into what Minister Ellis was talking about with uh, poor white people kind of getting duped into trading into minorities, trading them out to say they're better than somebody. Uh, there's the book that Pastor Rob mentioned, Prophet of Freedom. And just so you all know, this fall, part of what Pastor Rob's doing as our community pastor is he's bringing back some form of table talks that we used to have a few years ago. Um, they went away with COVID and as <laughs> so many things did, we're bringing them back in some form. Uh, so pay attention for that. Sorry for all the announcements there, but it bought you a minute to think. Um, so as we're wrapping up, what, yeah, back to the hope question. Just what does it actually hope look like for you as you go forward? Okay, um, <laughs> that's a very simple question. Uh, it's a simple answer. Uh, I don't know if it's an easy one. Uh, God. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm a believer in God, um, and I say God a lot, not withholding Jesus Christ, who is the keeper of my soul, and I can go on and on, um, but a lot of times we leave people at the feet of Jesus. Mm. And Jesus always said, it is not me, it's the Father. So we need to know who we, who we serve. Um, my hope is this, is that I was created um, to love. God, when he said, let there be light, in his mind, he had me in mind. He did all of this, he created all this world for man. He did this for us. So, my hope is that he created me to choose to love him. To choose to love him. So he just created me to do what I was created to do. So my hope is, is this. Um, every day is sunny and 70 in my world, I tell people. You know, it is. And they, why can you smile all the time? Hey, do you know there's a God who created everything that loves me? Me? That's the hope in the middle of the pandemic, the racism, the classism, the inner race mingle disputes. And it's, it's all of these. I have the hope, not just, hey, when I die, I get to see God. No, 
he loves me now, so I get to live in that and tell other people it's that hope. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for me, um, I would say God is well, but I'm gonna say it like this. Um, Everyone in here, who all in here has grown up in church or has spent majority of your life in church, whether it was a mama, pastor, father, dad, deacon, somebody with keys. Um, I, I say this a lot when it comes to the body of Christ because we are oftentimes bound by what is called the spirit of religion when it comes to things. And that will overtake, literally will be open up and read. It shouldn't just be on Sunday. Yeah. Okay, but what we what we read a lot of the time, and when I say that, I mean the inspired word of God. Um, so, I sa I'll say this: that my hope is that we don't allow um, that spirit of religion, spirit of fear, to keep us away from what God is doing, what He has said, what He wants to happen in this earth, which simply is. You know, I say this a lot, a lot of times as church people, as churchgoers, oh, God will fix it. God will take care of it on his time. No, God chooses to work through man. He didn't do anything until he created Adam outside of creating where Adam was going to live, his habitation. So he decided to name the animals, do all these things when Adam was created. So therefore, when you were created, there was an automatic assignment on you that we can't give back. So... And your assignment is going to pop up when you come into conversation. Because we, like I said, we're having these talks, but I really want to be realistic. Because we can say, oh, I'm going, I'm going to stop cussing. You know, I'm going to start a gift and a curse can come out of the same mouth. And I'm just going to be da 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 And then that person tick you off or cut you off. And you want to, oh, oh. And it, 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 it comes up right there. But then that same word that you read is going to come back in your mind. And it's going to say, are you going to obey it? Are you just going to kick it to the curb and say what you want to say anyway? And it's difficult to do, but that's what consecration is. That's what living holy is about. So I just want to simply say that don't allow man's ideals in our dysfunctional societal norms um, get in the way of what God's called us to do. Our assignment is what, he's, what he has said, which you have so deliberately talked about, which you have talked about, is to love each other and to love God as ourselves and every, to love each other as God love us. So just to keep in mind that when conversations pop up, it's easy when we're here in church and we're all cool, calm, and on the same mindset. When you go to work, when you're out in a store and you hear a conversation, sometimes you can't bombard and be like, hey, don't treat them like that. You know, but are you praying about it? You know, when you see something, you know, what are you doing? You know, how are you, what are you sharing to your children? Are you stripping them from the truth? When they get 18, they're going to deal with it. When they get, shoot, 12, 10, they're going to deal with stuff. You know, what are we, are we allowing the truth to come out? And we are, are we really taking our assignment seriously? Um, so that's what I want to say. Long-winded, but it was short. It was, it was amazing. Long okay. That was great. Yeah, it was great. Um, and I would say my hope within the body of Christ in, in, in um, situations and matters of this with racial reconciliation, it's like what we're doing now. You know, having the, you know, these conversations, talking about table talk. You know, we can have some tough, challenging conversations. What's the saying to uh, agree to disagree? If we have understanding to have compassion. We may not agree with everything, it, what, what everyone, ideologies or their um, um, thought process, but to have an understanding. And it's somewhat like Jesus did. Je the Bible says that Jesus had compassion amongst the people, that he understood where they were at. And as we're going to call ourselves Christians, we have to do that. And I think that we have to, what Ellis was saying, that it's God, what we place our hope on, is that it's God's agenda. And sometimes, as the body of Christ, we have our own agenda. And we wrap it up as, as if it's God. No. So, we truly have to, I would say the hope is, is that we have to understand one another, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, within the black community and within the black church, and I'll probably lose my black card for saying this, but I don't care. I'm, 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 a, I'm a black scholar. 
I, I, I graduated from Vanderbilt Divinity School. I'm a scholar of um, the Kelly uh, Miller Smith Institute. I would challenge anybody within this, and I challenge the black church especially. We got to stop using, or put, I would say, putting white people in white churches into racial pregatory. Absolutely. Some of the issues and things of this nature that we're, as a, as a black people and the black church is going through, we did it to ourselves. We got to be that voice. How can we have 15 churches in a black community and there are still violence, drugs, all these things? And what we're doing, we're giving people false hope instead of becoming a dope dealer. And I know my good friend, uh, I love the t-shirts, and this is nothing towards you. My man TC, you're probably watching. The hope dealer <laughs> shirt. But I'm saying this, not, and I'm saying this, this hope dealer is that a lot of black churches are giving people false hope. If you can come to my church and shout and scream, but you come back, I keep giving you but truly setting people free. And, and I would say within the white churches or multiracial churches, is to get to know one each other more and to work as a body of Christ. We gotta, Dr. King said it best, the most educated hour is 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. It has to stop, we gotta be more unified. And so that's where my hope is, and that's where my hope comes into that we have to be more understanding amongst each other and get rid of our own personal agendas, but it's lined up with God's agenda. Thank you. Um, so Rob, you said um, understanding. Uh, so one of the things you said was uh, you talked to the black church, which you know I'm part of, um, and that may not be a part of your experience. Like, what is the black church? I didn't even know that was a thing. You know, and you may ask yourself, can I say black church? Absolutely. Think about those things like it's just cultural. It's conversational little things that would stop you from, you know, speaking or just conversating, conversing with someone else's those little cultural things. Well, can I say what church you go to? Will they think that I'm I, I love conflict because I love solution more. Here's the solution. If you don't know how to help, the best thing you can do is figure out what's the next thing to do when you don't know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, open your mouth and just say, hey, I don't know what to do. Most of us have that black friend. <laughs> Let's be honest, most of us have that black friend, whoever that black friend is. Okay? Instead of relying, them, relying on them for all your cultural perspectives, how about, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Instead of worrying about what music they listen to. Because uh, culturally, we are entertainment. And um, as you said, uh, there's a lot of books that you can read. And in the Bible, it says the Bible should be read in spirit and in truth, correct? Yes. But it did it just say only the Bible should be read in that? Only the Bible should be read in spirit and in truth. No. Everything should. If God is everything, why don't we put him in, in everything? So when you read Frederick Douglass's, come from the... If God is love and we love God, then come from a place of love from everything you do. That's in every relationship that you have. This is going to help somebody. Your husband, your wife, your best friend. When they do something and you say, why did they do that? Why don't you ask first? Say first, they love me. <laughs> they love me. I mean, even though it may be whatever it is, they love me. God, why do you allow atrocities on this? Uh, wait a minute. You love me. What? <laughs> black, black young man walking down the street with a hood, listening to his music on his phone loudly, 
cursing, brandishing his fingers as the, if they were guns in your direction? Well, where is that no weapon formed against me there? Where is that love thy neighbor there? Where is trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thy own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path? Where is that then? Where is that when you see the news and every single murder is what is left on Broadway? If you go in north, turn left. Every murder seems like it comes there and they all seem black. Hmm. I'm a teacher. I used to ask my scholars, do you think that we are the only people killing people in this city? <laughs> they said, Mr. Harv, I never thought of that. Most people don't. How do you fight racism? First of all, let's learn the definition. Racism is not you calling me out my name. That's bigotry. It's prejudice, possibly. Racism is a defense of racial privilege. So when you defend those same institutions that are oppressing me, neighbor, ask yourself. Don't ask me because it's not between me and you. And I always remember that. Your relationship with God is between you and God. Your relationship between me and you is between us. Thank you. Well, uh, Minister Ellis, you talked about being sunny in 70. We can feel that. I think I am like Seattle weather with a hoodie. So they probably appreciate you being up here. And um, thank you for your, you're saying such true things, but with a spirit that only could be light because of the Holy Spirit being present. So thank you for your gift. Uh, Miss India, I'm, I'm glad that Louisville has you. I really am. Um, I'm going to listen back to the things that you said. I, I, I made note, like, oh, li listen back. There's a lot of truth and a lot of wisdom in your words. If there's ways that we as a community can support you, uh, w w you got a fan club. So we're with you. Uh, Pastor Rob, you know I love you. you we, we talk about membership here as when you come in, you change it. As soon as you're apart, you change who the church is, and, and Rob, you've done that. And thank you for your brotherhood, but thank you also for working hard on things like this. So let's, let's thank our, our friends here.